the word. We started, I'm telling you what, this is going to be a really good series. I'll listen to it myself, and I never listen to myself. But we're going to be talking about life over the next few weeks. And life is so very important. And uh, last week we talked about the biology of Christianity, and we were talking about how the manner or the type of life that flows through a thing determines what kingdom that thing is a part of. And how according to natural law, nothing can leave the kingdom it's born into and get into another kingdom. A plant can never become a tiger. I told you that you could crossbreed lilies all day long and you're never going to give birth to a lion. Because the plant kingdom can never become part of the animal kingdom. This is what makes grace so amazing is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is the doorway for one to leave the kingdom they were born into, which in your case, in my case, is the kingdom of darkness, and enter into a greater kingdom, which is the kingdom of light and life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to get into another kingdom, and that's what it's all about. I can't say this enough, but I'll keep saying it. It's not about whether you're a Baptist or a Charismatic, a Presbyterian, or a Pentecostal. It's not about what church you attend. What makes you a Christian is not your creed, your dogma, or your doctrine. It's not your hairstyle. A beehive hairdo does not make you holy. Hmm? Most churches, what they think is doctrine is really nothing more than style. The songs you sing are not doctrinal. They're style. You either like contemporary or you like bluegrass. It don't much matter. Y'all following me? Jesus Christ did not come to give us a new code. He didn't come to give us a new dress code or hairstyle. He didn't come so we would all dress in suits or robes. He came that we'd have life. Because life is what we were devoid of. So today I want to continue talking about life. And the title of today's message is, Life Matters. Go with me all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Where it began. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of And man became a living being. Now here's who breathed life into the man. So the life that went into the man was the life of God. The Lord God breathed into a clay statue the breath of life. So it was the life of God. So man was energized and made alive by the very life of God. In that breath was the essence. Everyone say essence. And I want you to hold a mental note on that word because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. The word essence, listen to this, is defined as the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract that determines its character. So here's what, the character of Adam was determined by the life that was in him. Listen, 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 listen. Adam, remember Psalm 8? 
What is man that thou art mindful of him? You have made him a little lower, just a shade lower than Elohim. The psalmist is saying of the original man, he looks like you, he walks like you, he talks like you. In fact, he's so much like you, he's only a shade lower. Adam was like God, not because of rules and laws and dictates. He behaved like God because he had the life of God. That intrinsic essence of God formed the character and the nature of Adam. And the reason that's important is I'm going to show you in just a little bit. Rules might change behavior temporarily. But when there's an impartation of the God kind of life, a thief will stop stealing, a liar will stop lying, and a drunkard will become sober, not because they have to, but because they get to. The life of God can do what the rules of man can never accomplish. Within that dirt vessel, the life of God pulsated, and animated every cell. But if we'll jump down just 10 more verses. Same chapter, Genesis 2, verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day. Now hear me when I say this. Not before that day. In that day. In other words, God is saying, I'm establishing some boundaries for you. Now understand this. Boundaries are meant to protect life, not diminish pleasure. Boundaries are meant to protect life, not diminish pleasure. In fact, the psalmist told us that in your presence is the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Where? In your presence. So God was establishing boundaries not to diminish Adam's pleasure, but to protect his life. For he said, in that day. Now, Adam, if you don't do it, it ain't going to happen. In other words, God did not ordain the death of man. God did not ordain misery, poverty, and sickness. God said, in that day that you violate the boundaries, you're going to divorce yourself from the source of the life that gives you your character and your nature. And in that day, in dying, thou shalt die. Death will set in. Y'all following me? Adam exchanged, listen to this, Adam exchanged the eternal for the mortal. And from his time onward, humans sat in darkness, afraid of death. Because everything died. Your puppy dog died. Your cat died. Your gerbil died. Your mama died. Your papa died. Your cousins died. Your aunt died. Your rose bush died. The trees died. Everything died. And man was afraid of death. Because death reigned. It was undeniable and it was unstoppable. No amount of good behavior. New Year's, New Year's Eve resolutions didn't stop death. Man became a creature of darkness. And the Bible tells us man loved darkness. In fact, man loved darkness more than he liked light because he became a creature of the darkness he lived in. His soul was dark. Laws and rules could not... 
laws and rules could alter his behavior, but no amount of animal blood could change his nature. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation, starting in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there was still nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshipers would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. Verse 4, for what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? None. None. The law was very successful in influencing the behavior of the people. But rules can alter your style, but rules can never change your nature. can never change the type of life. Everyone say with me, life matters. You see, because behavior doesn't move you from one kingdom to a next. I don't know about you, but if, if you do this, forgive me. But I watch people dress up their puppy dogs like their babies. Putting an outfit on your dog does not make your dog your baby. And I know it's popular, but you ain't a fur mama or fur daddy. That dog belongs in another kingdom. And you can put a bow in its hair and you can get it a birth certificate, but ain't your baby. Because God established everything gives birth after its own kind. Why are you saying this? Because we have to understand, listen, that, that, that it's the life of a thing that determines not the way it looks, not the way it behaves. This is the reason why you can look right and talk right and act right and not be right. Because it ain't behavior that makes you go from this kingdom to that kingdom. It's the life that's in you. Life matters and you might be able to fool me but you ain't gonna fool him this is the reason why there's gonna be some that say lord didn't we do this in your name and that in your name and we went to church every sunday and we gave our tithes and we did all the right things and he's gonna say depart from me because i never knew you you weren't connected to me because life matters not behavior and i mean you can dress holy and have knives in your pocket because I know some of, I've gotten something, so have you. Everyone say, life matters. Listen to what John chapter 1 verse 4 says. In him was, and the life was the light of men. In him was, in Matthew chapter 4 verse 16, the Bible says, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. The light they saw was the invasion of life. 
I covered this a little bit last week. This is the reason why Jesus, being a man, could operate on this planet in a way no other man could. Because the life that was in him was not the life of other men. The life that was in him was the life of the Father. So Jesus had a different type of life in him, so he was part of another kingdom. Y'all following me? Everyone else on the planet, the, the most pious Pharisee was part of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said, you're just like your father, the So they were part of another kingdom. It didn't matter how religious they were. It didn't matter how religiously they tied. Jesus could do things they couldn't do. None of them could walk on water. He did. None of them could bless lunch and turn it into a buffet. Jesus was able to defy physical laws because he was part of a spiritual kingdom. He literally was in the world, but not of the world. And when you and I are in him, the same things that applied to him apply to us. But see, we got to change the way we think. We are in the world, bro, but we ain't. So don't get offended at me if I operate on another principle. Because see, I'm part of the kingdom of increase, not a part of the kingdom of decrease. I'm part of the kingdom of possible, not the kingdom of impossible. In the kingdom I abide in and you abide in it too, there's no such thing as incurable. There's no such thing as impossible. And just because we ain't seen it doesn't mean we ain't a gonna. Everyone say life matters. You see, in the church, we've been taught a whole bunch of other things matter. Most churches, and I'll get there in just a little bit, most churches historically and commonly focus only on behavior modification. So their pulpits and their chairs are filled with saints who believe they're still sinners. Who don't have a clue who they are in him. Or if they do know, they don't really believe it. John chapter 5, verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. This is the reason why the Bible refers to, and it depends upon what translation you read, that Jesus is either the second or the last Adam. Because the same thing that happened in the first Adam happened in the second Adam. The life that was in Jesus was the life of the Lord God. Man, this is important, y'all. And I'm only scratching the surface. We're going to be on it for a while. John chapter 5 verse 26 in the Passion Translation reads it this way and I love this for the Father has given the Son the power to impart life do you know how of course you know you were there when it happened how many sermons have you and I heard that presents the gospel as if what Jesus gave us was another code a list of do's and don'ts And if we don't do this and we do do this, this makes us a Christian. I want to say this loud and clear. Jesus did not come to alter your behavior. He came to give you life. And then when that life gains the ascendancy in your mind, you'll change your behavior. 
I don't need a list of rules to tell me to be holy because the life within me is holiness itself. And as I learn to live according to the life that flows in me, holiness is a byproduct, not a mandate. It's all about life. And in too many churches, we just have never given life a chance. The Father has given the Son the power to impart life, even as the Father imparts life. And then, of course, you know we got to touch this. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and have it. I've came that they might have life and have it. I've heard preachers totally miss the it. And then they get off track because I'll touch this next week, but it's a rabbit and it's furry and I'm chasing it. Abundance does not prove holiness. He didn't say I've come that you might have life and abundance because you can have abundance and not be holy. No, I do believe holiness and life will always result in abundance. But you might not use it to be flamboyant. You might use it to be effective. Say la. But we, Jesus said, I've come that you'll have it. It. What? Life. In every fiber of your being, in every cell of your body. So I'm going to give you so much life that those who are in your vicinity and they're sitting in darkness, they're going to see a great light. Because you will be as he is. Because the life that's in him is in you. And we got to major in this. We can't minor in this stuff and make it about rules. We got to major in this. The thing that energizes me is his life. Jesus came to impart life. Listen to this. Life eternal was what man lacked. And life is what he needed. Man did not lack rules, regulations, or laws. When Jesus entered the planet, there was no shortage of religious systems. Every culture around the world had its own religious system. Religion is not what the world lacked. Life was. Man had no life and sat alone in the darkness without God and without hope. Then Jesus comes along and he says something really weird. He said a lot of weird things, to be honest with you. But this one, he said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. What was he saying? He was saying, partake of me. Partake of my essence and you'll become like me. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. Listen to this. Is this okay this morning? For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them, by the promises, you may become partakers of my divine nature. Is that not what the Bible says? Partakers of the? Partakers of the? Listen to John chapter 15, verse 5 out of the Passion Translation. I am the sprouting vine, and you 
you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. I like that. He's saying, as you live, the life that flows through the vine, when it flows through the branches, bearing fruit is going to come naturally. You will live supernaturally naturally. Almost as if without effort. Because it's just natural. If the life of God is flowing through me, then the character of God manifests in me. And it's not about me giving a sacrificial offering or confessing the same thing 502 times. Come on now. I'm going to beat up on the word of faith movement a little bit because I come from it. But we turned faith into works. Yeah, that's right. Well, you want to know why I walk in this power and this holiness and I got my new suit? Because I confess that scripture 1,000 times. Well, bravo. Good for you, bro. Why didn't you do it 1,001 or what happens if you'd only done it 999? Do you suddenly fall short? You see, when it's life, it's not about my effort. It's about my union. It's not me doing it. I'm going to get there in just a minute with Paul. But it's not me doing it. It's his life flowing through me that bears the fruit. Signs, wonders, miracles, the supernatural increase. That's all coming. I can't take credit. I just got grafted in. Life matters because the things that have frustrated us for so long is because we were trying to accomplish it in our own will. And the whole time the Bible was saying, just be in me. Mm. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Now, I got to touch on this because, you know, when we read in the English Bible, we read certain words. We think they're all created the same. Like if we read life, 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 all life is life. And that's just simply not true. Because in the Greek, there's primarily four different words. They have some derivatives, but there's primarily four different words that are translated in the English Bible life. But they don't all mean the same thing. The first one is suhe. Suhei means natural life. It's the life of your puppy dog that you dress up and think is your baby. The second one is bios, and that's the one we touched last week, biology. It means the manner or type of life. The third is anastrophe. Anastrophe is used a lot in the New Testament, and it means behavior, the way you act. Paul in Galatians chapter 1, I'm just going to read this verse so you'll see it used because it's used many times. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner or my behavior, the custom of my life in Judaism. One translation said it this way, you know how I used to act. Now here's most churches historically and commonly have camped out an anastrophe. If you want to be right, you got to act right. And if you don't act right, you ain't right. But if you'll act right, we'll put the stamp of approval on you. And we'll declare to everyone you are right, even if you ain't right. And that ain't right, because that ain't the message or the ministry of the master. Because Jesus did not come to present anastrophe. He came presenting the fourth word. 
Zoe. He didn't say, I've come that you might have Suhe or Bios or Anastrophe. He said, I've come that you might have Zoe. Zoe. The God kind of life. It ain't about your behavior. It ain't about anything else. It's the same life that animated Adam way back when. I have come to reintroduce it. This is the gospel message. That life that was and was abandoned has been restored. So that everything the first Adam was, you can be. And everything that Jesus was, you can be. Because it's the same life. Mm. Jesus said, I've come that you might have Zoe and have it, that God kind of life. This is the reason why John would say later on, as he is, so are we in this world. See, this is what makes grace amazing. It's not a list of laws and rules and dress codes. It ain't about whether you wear a red suit, no suit, tight jeans, or loose-fitting jeans. Some of you ought to get loose-fitting ones. I got some jeans. I put them on. My wife goes, uh-uh. I'm like, why not? They fit just fine. Of course, I won't breathe through the entire sermon. My wife just looks up and down and goes, take them off. But I digress. It ain't about your dress about the manner of life that flows through you. Everyone say it again. Life matters. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul wrote these words. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. I'm telling you, this newness of life was so dominant in Paul's thinking, Paul couldn't even picture himself being the old man anymore. In fact, the very first verse I ever memorized, and I'm not going to quote it because then you'll say, I thought you memorized it. But open up your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2. This, this writing from Paul has always amazed me. Is this okay this morning? See, many of you have lived for years under a label God never supplied. You've allowed people to define you as one thing when God has called you something completely different. And in order to walk in the newness of life, we've got to throw off that old. So Paul said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me I think it's in the New American Standard it says I've been crucified with Christ yet I live mind-blowing enigma what do you mean you've been crucified yet you're alive Paul says yeah I'm still here but listen to the rest it's really no longer me oh really Paul then who is it well it's Christ who lives in me Christ lives in you. Yeah, because I've been crucified with him. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was absolutely consumed with the idea that he was a new man. And the reason why he was able, 
some people have said, some scholars have said that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the second most influential man to have ever lived. And all of us know his name, not because of his great intellect or his phenomenal physique. We know who Paul was because he changed his world. And the reason he changed his world is because he operated as a new man. If you want to change your world, if you want to affect your generation, you can't do it because of your intellect or the powerful limbs you have. You've got to do it because that newness of life flows out of you and impacts your generation. The reason why Paul was totally overcome or overcomer is because it didn't matter what happened to him. If they stoned him, he walked away. If a snake bit him, he shook it off in the fire. Because Paul was absolutely, absolutely convinced he was a new man and that old self had passed away. And it was the life of Christ in him. This is the reason why he could say some things about sin. No Pharisee would say he would say things like, you know what? Sin has no place in me. It has no dominion over me. Y'all might as well just consider me dead to sin. Sin ain't got nothing to do with me. That drove religious people nuts. It still does. Tell someone who's religious. I ain't a sinner. Oh, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. It still drives them nuts. No, sin's got nothing to do with me. And listen to this. Is, is this okay? If sin's got nothing to do with you, neither does any of its partners. If sin has no dominion in your life, neither does poverty, sickness, or death. Well, pastor, I don't know. That sounds too good to be true. And therein is our problem. We think if it's too good to be true, it can't be true. And yet it is. Let me read this same thing to you out of the Passion Translation. I don't know if this is helping you, but it's blessing me. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 18, Passion Translation, For if I start over and reconstruct the old religious system that I have torn down with the message of grace. You know why religion always rants against grace? Because grace is the greatest threat to religion. So Paul said, I ain't going to reconstruct it. Because if I do reconstruct it, I will appear to be one who turns his back on the truth. But because the Messiah lives in me, I've now died to the law's dominion over me so that I can finally live for God. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. What no longer lives? My old identity. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now, and here's that word, the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. The essence of all that Jesus was, is in me. The essence of all that Jesus was, is in you. And it's the essence that forms the character. This manner of life produces change in men. It changes the conduct 
corrects habits and forms new ones. Years ago, the first year that my wife and I had been married, we were living in government housing. I was not born with a silver spoon. It was plastique. <laughs> and so we were living in government housing, and right next door to us was another couple. Just, I think, a little... Adam and Crystal, right? Is that their name? And we befriended them, and the inevitable happened. We led them to the Lord. I think, actually, she did. And that, that posed a real problem for us because there was not a church in the county we could recommend because we had brand new babes and we could not recommend them to a single church for fear that they would run into the local Pharisees and be absolutely stripped of hope and life and love. And so when they asked us where to go to church, we, forgive me for saying this, we encouraged them not to. We said just... Let's spend some time with you and you spend time with Jesus and read your Bible and we'll talk later. And we just believe that the life that was within them, I'm going somewhere with this, the life that was within them would germinate and bear fruit. And after just a few weeks, no rules, no regulations, no condemnation, we never one time spoke to them about living together out of marriage. Wow. Not one time. And eventually he came to me and he said, Jimmy, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, is it wrong for me to be living with Crystal and not be married to her? I said, who told you that? He said, nobody, it's just a feeling. I just kind of feel like it ain't right. See, we got to give life a chance. We got to give, first thing we do when somebody gets saved, we tell them what they can do and what they can't do. And, and you got to dress like this and you got to walk like that. You better not miss church, you hell-bound demon spawn. Don't you dare tithe, not tithe, because the devil gets you. And we never give life a chance because we're so enamored with religion. So enamored with it. And so I showed him in the Bible what the Bible actually said about living together in their state. He did two things, and he did them immediately. He asked her to marry him, and he moved out. Nobody told him to do it. God so blessed them that God paid for their entire their wedding. It was all paid for, and they got married highfalutin style. God paid for it, and within a short period of time, they had a baby. And they asked us to be the godparents. Then there was another case. Can I share another story of us giving life a chance? Just a couple years ago, I got a call from a pastor down in Louisiana. And he said, Pastor Jimmy, he said, I got to ask you a question. I don't know who else I can talk to about this. I'm thinking, man, what'd you do? He said, I got a young man in my church just gave his life to the Lord. And when this guy got saved, he got on fire, man. I mean, he never misses service. He's down there in front. He is on fire for Jesus. I said, well, that's cool. What's the issue? He said, well, he just came to my office and told me he wasn't born a boy and wondered what he should do. And he said, I don't know what to tell him. What do I do? I said, you leave him alone. And you make sure no one in your church finds out about this. You tell him he doesn't tell nobody about it. You just let him continue to worship the Lord. You let him get down front and you let him dance before God. And you don't say nothing to him about this. In time, the life that was with, is within him will germinate. And the Lord will tell him what to do. And when the Lord tells him what to do, it won't be your responsibility. 
And it didn't take but maybe a couple months. He came to the pastor. And the pastor called me and told me this. He came to the pastor and he said, Pastor, I'm absolutely convicted. I've got to go back to being a girl. And he said, but I don't want to cause the church problems. So I've decided I'm going to move away. I'll continue to serve the Lord every day of my life. But I got to be what God created me to be. And God didn't create me to be a boy. You don't need rules to enforce holiness. If you let the life of God do its thing. I don't know how much time I got. Can y'all give me a few more moments? Go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Someone who allows this life to flow through them cannot steal. They cannot lie, they cannot kill, and they cannot hate. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, the Passion Translation says, Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. Everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. When criminals receive life, they become law-abiding citizens and worthy examples in society. Thieves become honest. Drunkards become sober. No case is incurable. The worst criminals become the greatest evangelist. When life is given a chance. The most godless of men become faithful husbands and fathers. The life of God produces the change that the world needs. I shared this with you before. One of my favorite authors said, the reason why our civilization is failing is because the gospel we presented it has failed. We have presented it a gospel of behavior modification. We've told those who aren't right to be right by acting right. Why do so many backslide? Why do so many live such frustrated lives of hope that never does seem to manifest? Because we're constantly trying to alter their behavior to make them something that they're not or don't know they are. Where if we would just preach to them life and let life do its thing, they would rise up victorious. They would be holy. They would be generous. They would be loving because it's the life of God that brings about the fullness of the change. The fruit is produced by the life within the branch. I've never walked by an apple tree and heard it confessing, I will bear apples, I will bear apples, I will bear apples, I will bear apples. Have you ever heard an orange tree when you walked by it say, I will bear many oranges? No, they just do what they do because the life of the orange is in the orange tree. You see how simple this will make the supernatural when you realize who you are. Healings will break out all around you. Why? Because the life that is in you is greater than the darkness around you. It's not about your title, your position, your prestige, whether you went to this school or that school. It's about the life that is in you is greater than the darkness that is in them. Light always invades darkness. Darkness never invades light. Darkness is never greater than light. So in closing then, and don't get your hopes up because that really doesn't mean much. <laughs> Why do so many of us live so far below their potential? You remember, I've told you this story before when the first time I had an opportunity to talk to T.L. Osborne. 
He said, tell them who they are. They don't know who they are. Most Christians have never been taught what it means to be new. And if they have heard it, they've not believed it. Imagine if you would, you're sitting there minding your own business, trying to figure out what bill you're going to get paid this month. And, and in that stack of past due bills, there's a letter from Uncle John John. First off, you think, who names their child John John? I don't know no John John. But you open it up and you know it's got to be a scam because it says that your uncle three times removed on your mama's side who you ain't never met died and he didn't like his own children so he left you a lot of money. One person knows what that was. He left you a million dollars. But you think, of course, that's got to be a scam because you don't know John John. And so you ball it up and you throw it away. Does your unbelief annul the reality that you are an inheritor of a million dollars? No, that money's sitting there waiting on you, but you, your unbelief, listen, hear me. See, our unbelief of a biblical truth does not annul the truth of the Bible. It just simply prohibits us from benefiting from that reality. So if we get a letter that says you don't ever have to worry about what bill you're going to pay anymore because John John left you a lot of money and you ball it up and throw it away, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter to the truth is still there. You're rich. You're just living like poor because you decided not to believe. So if somebody like me stands up here and tells you you have the fullness of Christ abiding within you. You have an anointing and it's of the Holy One and you don't need any man to teach you because the life that is in you will guide you into all holiness and all truth and you decide not to believe it. It doesn't annul the truth. It just prohibits you and I from benefiting from that. You are already an overcomer. You are already victorious. You already have life within you. If you could see in the spirit, you glow, baby. You're like the ever-ready bunny on steroids. There ain't a weapon been formed that you can't overcome. There ain't a wall you can't break through. There ain't a city you can't take. There ain't a problem you can't fix. Because the life of God is in you. We just got to believe it. I'm closing. Yes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Says he has made you alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. The same verse out of the Passion. And his fullness fills you. Even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. His fullness. Everyone say fullness. fullness. That ain't halfness. That ain't a portion. His fullness. John chapter 1 verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received. Wait, that, that can't be right. For of his fullness all pastors have received. Oh, for of his fullness all apostles have received. No, of his fullness, all well-known televangelists have received. No, for of his fullness, we have all received. From the lowest to the greatest, from the most well-known to the most unknown, we have all received his fullness. If we have his fullness, what part of him do we lack? 
Is it possible that we are more than who we thought we were? And grace upon grace. But I'm convinced that as the church as a whole, we're not fully convinced of this. And don't get mad at me when I say this, because I'm not the only one that said it. Kenneth Copeland has said it, and Andrew Womack has said it, and others have said it. So when I say it, if it gets you mad, write them first. <laughs> All you have to do to realize that we don't really believe this is listen to the songs we sing. Listen to the songs that are popular on Christian radio and in the church. Lord, I'm so empty. Here I am, helpless and hopeless and void. Just meet me, fill me, and we clap. Andrew Womack, I was listening to him one time, he said he hates songs that say how desperate we are. And here's the reason why. He said if you look up the word desperate, it means to be hopeless and in an impossible situation. Well, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Where'd he go? He said I was never going to leave you and never forsake you. You see what? So... If we were convinced that everything he is, I am, I would never, ever sing a song about being empty. I would never, ever sing a song about my cup being empty. Here's my cup. Fill it up, bro. You already filled it up, Lord. I am filled to the fullness of God. Every cell in my body vibrates with your life. The fullness of the Godhead abides within me. The songs we celebrate by far and large, they're unbelief set to the melody of music. Well, pastor, what do we do? You sing new songs. Sing songs about who you are in him. Who he is in you. When we begin to believe like Paul did, we will begin to live supernatural lives. And in closing, John 3, 16. And that's the verse we'll pick up with next week. But listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That eternal life is not held on reserve for you on the other side of death. That eternal life, the life of the eternal, abides within you right now. Yes. Right now. Yes. This is the reason why you don't got to wait to get to heaven to be happy. No, sir. You don't got to wait to get to heaven to be healed. Amen. You don't got to wait to get to heaven to be prosperous. Amen. Because the life of God is in you now. The fullness of Christ is in you right now. If you were to look at your hand, that ain't a normal hand. That's an agent of change. That's a weapon of mass destruction to the kingdom of the enemy. Right there. Because if life is in me and this hand touches death. See, we just got to believe. They shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall. Why? Because the life that is in you is greater than the death that is in them. And so when the life that is in you encounters disease, it drives disease away. See, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the greatness of his grace. 
that we are no longer citizens of darkness. We are no longer impotent, helpless, hopeless, and powerless. He didn't come to give me a new religion. Doesn't much matter whether you worship on Saturday, Sunday, or today. It's about the life that is in you. And our job is this, simply let that life explode. Let it out. Let it out. Be confident that he's done a good job in you. Yes. And that which he has begun, he yes. will perfect. Yes, sir. Stand to your feet this yes. morning.